This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, welcome everyone. Baruch uh, Tonight is our last year before Chag HaPurim, Haba Aleinu And uh, what we're going to discuss tonight is Dvarim Ha'imdin Baruma Shaloylam. Really, out of this world. Uh, maybe much of the information you're going to hear tonight, maybe you heard it before. But even so, we're going to present it in a completely original and novel way. And uh, really, try to explain a little bit tonight already. Uh, tonight already, we're uh, under the influence, not of uh, the Yayin yet, but of Tainus Esther. Already, this is the calendar date of Tainus Esther. And the question is, what exactly is Tainus Esther? And I've conducted polls. I've done polls. And you ask most people, what is Tainus Esther? Most people think it's to commemorate the fact that Esther fasted. And really, it has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that Esther fasted. Esther fasted uh, Pesach time. So Tainus Esther has nothing to do with Esther's fast. What is Tainus Esther? The simple meaning of Tainus Esther, the Mishamura brings down, is that we were supposed to be eradicated on Chas V'Shalom, L'Hashmed, L'Aragaliyabed on Yid Gimel Adar, and the Gezerah was turned over, and we were able to attack our enemies. And we have a tradition, and we have a minhag, that whenever we go to war, we fast. So that means that in the times that Klaiso went to kill Adam Amalek on Yud Gimel Adar, they fasted. Now we don't know that they fasted. We have no evidence. We have, it's not in the Megillah. It's not in the Gemara. We have no Medrash that says that they fasted in the times of, of Esther. But we're just assuming they did because that's Minog Yisrael. And to commemorate the Tainus that we're assuming they fasted, we also fast. Which is very difficult. We don't know they fasted. I'm, I'm sure they did. But we went to many wars throughout history, and we fasted many times, and we don't commemorate any of those Tanesim. Why do we specifically commemorate Tainus, the Tainus of Yud Gimel Adar? If you look in the Megillah, we know uh, Megillah says the Baruch HaKodesh Nechtavah was written with the Divine Spirit. And that means the same way the student of Torah is authorized to examine every sentence and every word and every letter, and if there's a big letter or a small letter, we have to ask ourselves, what's the significance, what's the meaning? It's the same thing with Megillah Sester. It was written, Baruch HaKodesh. And there are a few anomalies in Megillah Sester, a few big letters. One of the big letters is in the beginning of the Megillah, Chur Karpahas Uschelas. Chur Karpahas Uschelas, we have a big ches. We have a big ches. What is that big ches doing there? And uh, classically, when we want to know about the Ramazim and the Chumash or in the Torah, the first place to check, you look in the Balaturim and you look in the Rekeach. We've already, already over the last couple of weeks, we've mentioned many, many Ramazim of the Rekeach. And the Rekeach on the spot points out the ches of Chor, ches is eight. It's a remez to the fact that Achashverosh put on not only the Big Day Kahuna, but the Big Day Kohen Gadol, the eight Begadim of the Kohen Gadol. That's the significance of the Big Ches. And we come to the end of the Megillah, and at the end of the Megillah it tells us that Esther Hamalka recorded Megillah's Esther as we have it today. And at the end of the Megillah we encounter a big tough. Vatichtoiv Esther Hamalka, Vatavichayo, Umardachai Hayehudi, Eskal Toikef. She wrote the Megillah. We have a big tough. What's the meaning of that? Why does it have a big tough? And again, the Roy Kach points out that the tough is written big to indicate that this was not a one-time writing. This wasn't a writing for a decade 
or for a hundred years. It was a writing forever. It was an eternal writing. It was a big siva, and therefore there's a big tough. Interestingly, when Esther proposed the idea of recording the Megillah, so the Chachamim said, we can't write it. It already says three times in Tanakh about wiping out Amalek. That means, and, and we have a tradition, Shalishim Veloy Ribeim, only three times and not four times. Until Esther found a remez in the Chumash that we could write it one more time from the Pasuk, Kesoiv Zoisi Karain Baseta. Says Keach, the Gematria, Vatichtoiv Esther Hamalka, Basavichayo, is the same numerical value as Zoisi Karain Basefer Vesim Veozne Yeshua Ki. Okay. Says Rekech, another remez. Why is there another tough? A big tough here. The tough is which letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the last letter, the 22nd letter. Alpi the Medrash, there were 22 women who made a big impact on Klal Yisrael, Esther being the 22nd. That's why in Eishas Chayel, Shleim HaMelech says, 22 psukim in honor of the Eishas Chayel in in uh, memory of the 22 great Jewish women, beginning with Sarah, ending with Esther HaMalka. 22, therefore there's a big tough in Vatichtoiv Esther. So what we have so far is two random big letters. The Ches is the eight big day kahuna, and the tough is the big tough, the big writing, the eternal writing. What we're looking for is there a common theme to explain the two big letters together that would explain why Dafka, a big ches and a big taf. Also, there's a mitzvah. One of the mitzvahs hayoim of Purim. It's not one of the big four. But nevertheless, the language of the Gemara is it's a chiyav. Amarava, mechayiv inish l'basumei b'puraya adalayada b'narhama l'baruch mordechai. By the way, we mentioned, not here yet, but the reason why Rava is the bahamemra of this statement is because Rava was a gilgal of Lloyd, and Lloyd came to this world al day yayin, and therefore, Rava throughout Shas, whenever there's a Gemara about Yayin, take it to the bank, it's always Rava. Because since Lloyd did something inappropriate with Yayin, so Rava came to him, okay, it's a different shmuz. What's the Indian of this mitzvah? It's a very odd mitzvah. Normally, Shomamel, how many times does he warn about the dangers of Yayin? So many ills of society take place through wine. And here we have a mitzvah to get drunk. They don't know if you're coming or going. You know, what's the mitzvah of that? What's the Indian of that? <coughs> There's a very mysterious medrash. The Yalkut Shemoni in Tehillim, Perak Chafez, look at number 6. The Yalkut Shemoni says, A house that has snakes in it. Raise your hand if you have snakes in your house. Okay, good. If, you, if your house has snakes in it, what do you do? You get the horn of a ram. Okay, it's, it's good to know. You know, people might think they have to call an exterminator. It'll save you some money. You get the horn of a ram. You smoke into it. Okay. And then the snakes run away. You know, it's always good to have it in your back pocket, this little, you know, tidbit of information that if you have snakes in your house, just pull out the ram's horn, pump some smoke into it, and the snakes leave. It works every time, guaranteed. Says the Medrash, where do we learn this from? As soon as Esther came to the scene, Haman ran away. You know, very odd. Well, what is Esther chasing away Haman got to do with, you know, the ram's horn chasing away the snakes? Well, says the Ben Ashchai, says the Ben Yoyoda, half of a fella. The Gemara says in Masech Yuma that Esther in Perkhafez of Tehillim is compared, who remembers, to Ayela Sashachar, the morning star. And the, Medr- the Gemara says, why is Esther compared to the morning star? Just like the morning star is the end of the night, Esther is the last miracle. So Esther is the last miracle. How's Esther the last miracle? We have so many miracles. We have Hanukkah, 
We have uh, many miracles. For some people to be here tonight at a shir, it's a nest, right? There are many nisim in a place. You know, to get through a day, it's a nest. What do you mean Esther is the last miracle? So the Ben Yehoyada says, the last miracle in world history will be the downfall of Amalek and the downfall of Edom. Esther is compared to the, the ram, Ayel HaShachar. Says the Ben Yehoyada, really the foundation point of tonight's share. And we're going to take it throughout history. And that is that every year when we lay in the Megillah and we do the Mitzvah Sapurim, we are destroying Amalek a little bit more until ultimately he is eradicated and he's dissipates and he's vaporized. It's not that in the times of Purim, Esther conquered and Mordechai destroyed Amalek and they're gone forever. It's every single year there's looming Amalek. Okay, and this is going to be not only Thunder Teshir, this is a principle in history. Amalek's klipa, his force is always prevalent, is always looming. And every year when we lay in the Megillah and we go through the Mitzvah Hayyim, we're eradicating the Kayach of Amalek and the Nachash. Many years ago, I saw a tshuva, and I really wanted to give a share on it, but I just didn't have enough information. And I searched and I searched for years and years and years, until a couple days ago. And then it just started flowing in like an avalanche. You know, it happens to be the avalanche always comes, you know, at the busiest time, but what can you do when it comes? You take it as it comes. The floodgate, you know, the mayanois ha Hashem opened up, I'm telling you, this is... I found the tshuva. You know, everybody knows that Tainus Esther, you know, is more lenient than the other fast days. Is that really true? And look, I'll admit to you, halachically it's true. It is. Especially this year, it's a nidcha. You still have to fast, you know. <laughs> it's a uh, but. Nevertheless, halach, but. Al or mystically, it's the most important of the fast days. Why is that? And that is, the, there's a Shalsa Tshuva Sefer, Shevet HaKahasi, of Rav Shammai Kahaskros, and I saw this many years ago, and I know what to do with it. That he quotes the Mikubalim, that when Haman made a decree, Lahashmid Laroi Guliabed, we never abolished the decree. We never abolished it. In fact, you could even say that the Megillah says, Ki HaMelech. If the king makes a decree, and whenever it says Melech in the Megillah, it refers to God. Can never be retracted. So the Gezerah of Haman looms every year. But it was deferred. It was, it was deferred. What was it deferred to? The Mikubalim say it was deferred to the year 1648. You can say any, you can make up any year. No! That's why there's a big chest and a big tough in the Megillah. To indicate that the Gezerah of Haman got big, came out, was was aroused in the year 1648. That's the big ches and the big tough. And therefore, the reason for Tainus Esther, very important, is that since every year the Gezer of Haman is looming, and we have to be very afraid every year when Yud Gimel Adar comes, Chazal Baruch Kacham instituted a Tainus to protect Klal Yisrael so that the Gezer of Haman, which looms every year, does not, is not chal, does not divav on anything. And therefore, he says, even though a pregnant woman or a nursing woman would not fast on Tainus Esther, but nevertheless, okay, so uh, you're not going to fast on Tainus Esther, so we'll go out to graze and we'll eat. No, no, no. You got to take it easy. Even if you're not fasting, you have to, uh, you have to realize this is a yom chamur ma'id. 
So I saw this many years ago. I didn't know what to do with it. First of all, who are these Mikubalim? The way I work is if somebody tells me the Mikubalim say something, if you don't tell me who it is and where it is, so, you know, it's called anecdotal evidence. Well, it's not, I need to know where. I need the Makar, I need the source. So he doesn't say who the Mikubalim are. I never heard the big ches, the big tough. The Rekach says a different shot. Who are these Mikubalim? Lo and behold, I came across a Sefer, the Yismach Moshe. I don't know if anyone ever, no, nobody ever met, ever heard of the Sefer. It's the Yismach Moshe's commentary to Nevi'im Uksuvim, and there's a little contrast on Esther. It's called Osus Rimoini. Okay, if you heard of it, Kalakavai. I'll give you a big hug. You heard of it? The Yismach, I know the Yismach Moshe. Not only do I know the Yismach Moshe, my Baba in Europe, she was protected by a woman who is a Enukal, the Yismach Moshe. She had the Yismach Moshe's Garto. So I know about the Yismach Moshe. But I never heard of this Sefer, Asus Rimani. The Asus Rimani. He wants to know, there's some Sukkim in, there's some Sukkim in the Megillah that say like this. Listen to this. It says, Vimeha Purim Ho'ele lo Yavru Yehudim. Purim will never cease. The memory will never end. So it's like repetitious. Well, why are we repeating the same thing again and again? It says, Purim will never cease. The memory will never end. So Esther wrote the Maisa. Why the repetition? What's? Says the Yismach Moshe. You need to look in a history book. Josephus. The second part of Josephus is called She'eris Yisrael. And in Josephus, in the second part, it says that the reason why there's a big tough and a big ches in the Megillah is in, uh, in memory of the year 1648 when the Gezeira of Haman was Chal. Says Yisrael, does anyone here know, do you know that Chazal, not Chazal, but the Achroinim made a fast day to mourn the losses of 1648-1649. What day of the year is that? Chaf Sivan. Says the Yismach Moshe, that's Marumas in the Pasuk. Kiyad al Kais Ka. Kais Kaf Sivan. Kais Kaf Samach is Chaf Sivan. That's when the Yad of Hashem, and that's when his throne and name was incomplete because of Haman. That's when Haman's Gzeira came to fruition. On Chav Sivan, case. Says the Yismach Moshe, what the Rebbein Shalom did is in order to preserve Kal Yisrael, if he would have allowed Haman's decree to come to fruition back then, then Kal Yisrael would have been eradicated. So the number of Jews that were supposed to be Chasashom annihilated in the times of Haman predominantly the annihilation took place in the year 1648 and other years. But because they took place predominantly in 1648, that's why you have a big tough and a big ches. So again, who are these Mikubalim? Maybe the Yismach Moshe. But we'll see, it's more. Says the Yismach Moshe, and now we can read the Pesukim like this. Vimeha Purim ha'elelo yavru. Purim, what does Purim mean? The lot, the lottery. The lottery that Haman cast to annihilate the Jews... It didn't just pass. It's going to be chal. It's going to happen. We, you can't just <coughs> negate it. Lo yavru, it will take place. But the Rebunishal made it take place when he pushed it off. And why? Why did God push it off? Why So that the zikram lo so that the memory of the Jewish people never cease. So in order to ensure that, 
Vatichtoiv Esther with the big tough, Esther was able to defer it to the year 1648-1649. By the way, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. The Chsam Soifer himself. Now, it's not really the Chsam Soifer. In the Tairas Moshe, so Chsam Soifer has an anical, Rav Shimon Soifer, the Rav of Erloi. He wrote something called Shir Ma'ain. He writes the exact same thing. In the name of the Sheiros Yisrael, that the Gezerah of Haman was not eradicated, was not nullified, it took place in 1648. As our tradition is, there's a big tough and a big ches. He even says maybe the Chelmenitsky and the Kazakhs were Gilgulim of Amalek. That's what the Shirma Rav Shimon Seifer says. Ah, then he says like this, but everything that takes place has to be in the Chumash itself. So where is this in the Chumash? So he says, Oyem Benoira. The Medrash tells us that Haman was not hung, hanged on a regular tree. He was hanged on a thorn. Where is the first time in the Chumash we have the word thorn? The kites, the dardar, tatzmiach, lach. Says Rav Shimon Seifer. The kites, because Haman was hanged on the thorn and his gezerah didn't take place then, you know when it took place? Dardar. Generate dar dar many generations later. So you say, oh come on, that's you know that's no dar dar is gematria tafches the year sixteen forty eight. Vikoitz because Haman was hanged, dar dar therefore the gzera was pushed off to sixteen forty eight. And oyoim v'noira, you know who else says this? One of the greatest all time the kubalim, Reb Shamshin Shapoli, he writes in the Nitzutse Shimshain that the Gezerah of Haman was never nullified, it never ceased, it was never abolished. The Yibam Shalom deferred it. To when? To the year Tav Ches. That's why there's a big Tav and a big Ches. And that's why Kiyot al Keska Chaf Sivan. Okay, very good. So now when you see the Megillah, you realize these anomalies are not for naught, they're not empty, Chas Shalom. These are, it's, it's teeming with historical message. It's, it's telling you about the future of Kal Yisrael. Now, if you view the Megillah in this light, you can't help but ask yourself, these are not the only anomalies in Megillah Sester. There are not only two big letters, there are three small letters in Megillah Sester. Where are these three letters in small letters in Megillah Sester? Well, if you look, take a look at number 13. You have, Vayaku ha'yudim the Jews smit among their enemies, Makas Cherev, Vehereg, Vyavdon, they killed their enemies, Vayasu b'soyneim kertsoyneim, and they did to their enemies at will. Uvishushan ha'biru hargo ha'yudim ha'abed chameish me'yosi, and you have the Aseris b'nei ha'man. And lo and behold, you look in the word Parshan Dasa, and you see in the word Parshan Dasa, you have a little tough. And then in the word parmashna, you have a little shin. And then in the word vaizasa, you have a little, little zayin. Now, had it just been for the Roy Keach, so you say, I don't know, each one might carry a random meaning, but according to Rav Shimon Seifer, and Rav Shanshin Mashtapoli, and the Shalshuva Shevet HaKahasi, and the Yismach Moshe, the anomalies in Megillah Esther contain in them specific historical message. So the question is, what are these small letters? And maybe we could add, okay, why are some letters big and some letters small? Is there a meaning? Is there a reason why sometimes it's big and sometimes it's small? 
One of the most difficult things to understand the Megillah Sester is number 14. So you have to know what took place. The Jews come into Shushan. They knock off 500 guys. They kill the 10 sons of Haman. They're dead. Okay? You know what dead means? Dead is dead. Dead like a doorknob. And Esther comes to the king. And the king says to Esther, Esther, whatever you want, I'll give you, you know, Ad Malchus. And this time he doesn't even say Ad Malchus. He says, whatever you, whatever you want. Imagine, you know, the guy turns to his wife. No, Sprinza American Express Planum. Here it is. Do whatever you want. That is what Achashverosh tells Esther. Whatever you want. So if I was Esther, I would say, build the base Hamikdash. I don't know, give me $10 million. What does Esther ask for? She asks for one thing. We want to kill our enemies tomorrow. We want to hang the ten sons of Haman. Hey Esther, they're dead. You don't hang dead people. Nobody hangs dead people. No, the Aseras B'nei Haman. The Aseras B'nei Haman, they were dead. Why does she want to hang the ten dead sons of Haman? What's that all about? Isn't that a very odd request? So, Mervah historically, let's try to understand. We know Megillah Sester and the Shabbos, we're going to be dealing with Amalek. Is there any nation about whom we could say, well, this nation is Amalek? I'm not telling you things that you heard. I don't want to hear about what you heard, what somebody told you. This Misa, that Misa. I want to know, do we have any evidence? Is there any halach? Is there any makar? About any particular nation that we could say that that's Amalek. Okay, so there is a well-known story about Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld. In the year 1898, when the leader of Germany, Wilhelm, came to Israel, at the time Palestine... Mm-hmm. And everybody came out to greet him because everybody remembered the, the shir about going to inauguration and when a king comes out, you're supposed to go and make a bracha, shachalak mikvaydoi labasavadam. So Kimat, the entire Yishuv, went out to make a bracha on this Wilhelm. Except for two Gedolei Yisrael, Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld and Rabbi Tzvi Michal Shapiro. They didn't go out. Everyone went out. Some people just, you know, out of curiosity and others really to make a bracha. And they asked Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonafel, this is published in his biography, Yishala Choyma, Rebbe, why did you not go out to make a bracha on Wilhelm? And he said, my Rebbe, Rabbi Shuleib Diskin, told me that he has a tradition from the Vilna Gaim that Germany is Amalek. And they could look good, and they could dress well, and their, their boots could be shining, and they could be immaculately groomed. But as well-dressed as they are, that's how evil and vicious they are on the inside. And therefore, it's bad enough we're not able to kill Amalek today. I'm going to go make a bracha on them. And he did not go to make a bracha on them. So the question is, okay, where does this tradition of the Vilna Gaon come from? What evidence is there? How do we know that the Vilna Gaon said that Germany is Amalek? So it's interesting. There is a... Prophetic Gemara Masech the Megillah Vav Amid Aleph going on to Vav Amid Beis. The Gemara is talking about a tefillah that the Gemara identifies as a tefillah of Yaakov Avinu. It's a pasuk in Tehillim, looking over seventeen. Al Hashem Rasha, God Almighty, do not grant the desires of the wicked. Zimamoy Al Do not remove his muzzle. 
Yarumu You'll be exalted forever. Says the Gemara, Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, what does this Pasuk mean? Says the Gemara, Yaakov Avinu turns to Rebbein Shalom. He says, Rebbein Shalom. Al titein le'esav harasha tavas libai. Don't give Esav his desire. Who is the desire of Esav? What does it mean, don't give Esav his desire? Zu germamia shel edaim. This is germamia. She'el molehen yoitzen. If germamia would just go out, machrivin kala oilam kulai, they would destroy the whole world. So the Gemara is saying, that if Germamia is let loose, they will destroy the world. Now who's Germamia? So I know you know oh, Germany, right? Because it sounds like it. No, we don't we don't do things that way. You know, we need we need intelligent evidence. Oh it sounds no close enough is not good. Okay. Comes Rabbi Yaakov Emden, and Rabbi Yaakov Emden identifies for us in his Hagois and Masachta Megillah. Kimiduma, it is my opinion, Ratzalaimar, Germania. Aha! Germania is Germany, right? Mehechitesi. How do you know? So he goes further. Ashkenaz Shalom. That's Germany. Okay, so he doesn't leave any room to... No doubts. Rabbi Yaakov Emden identifies Germania and the Gemara Megillah as Germany. And Yaakov Avinu is saying, God, do not give Esau his desire. If Germany would go out, they would destroy the whole world. Say, what are you talking about? They would destroy the whole world. Germany was never a world superpower. I mean, for the first 5,600 years of the world's existence, Germany never had a chance of conquering. What is Yaakovino talking about? And then the Gemara continues. Because Yaakov is mispalel, zimomoy al remove not their muzzle. That means, imagine, Esau has a muzzle. There is something that keeps Esau in check. There's something that keeps them in line. What is it? So the Gemara says a story. Germany has 300 crown princes. And there are 365 governors of Rome. So Edoim has 300 rulers. And Rome has 365 governors. And every day they fight against each other. Edoim against Roimi, Esav against Rome. Umiktil Khadmina and they kill each other. And they're busy and they're they're preoccupied appointing a new king. So listen to what this Gemara is saying. It's Divrei Navua. The Gemara is saying that there are two things that keep Germany in check. Number one is they're disunified. There is no achdos. There's no unity. They have 300 generals. They have 300 crown princes. They have too many republics. They can never unite. The fact that they're fragmented keeps them in check. That is the first muzzle of Germany. And the second muzzle is their eternal and constant battle with Rome. They're constantly fighting Edom. They're They're constantly fighting Rome. But, comes out, if Germany were ever to unite and then make an ally and make a treaty with Rome, they would destroy the world. In other words, what this Gemara is saying is that Yaakov Avinu, Davin, Sashem, Rivanshem, do not let Germany loose. Don't let him loose. Because if he's let loose, he will destroy the world. And there are only two things that keep him in check. Number one, they're fragmented. Number two, they're constantly fighting with Rome. And that's why Germany never had an opportunity or a fighting chance to be a world superpower. 
That is until the year 1871. And Bismarck rises to And he unites all the Germanic republics for the first time in history. By the way, if you want to know, really? Are there really 300 princedoms of Germany? So let me read to you from William Shire, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, page 121. I'll give you the Maramakam later. Right now you only have the Torah. Okay? By the end of the Middle Ages, which had seen Britain and France emerge as unified nations, Germany remained a crazy patchwork of some 300 individual states. So just in case you have any doubts about the Gemara, oh, it's Agatha. We don't know what it means. No, we, we know what it means. Agatha is Torah Misinai. The Gemara says 300. That's what happened. The Hebrew Encyclopedia. The political disintegration of Germany had far-reaching economic effects. 300 princedoms and free cities guarded their economic autonomy. Okay, this, this Sicha is pr- published in a sefer called Armoisha, or Armoisha Pinto. But it's originally, this is material of uh, the Discovery Program, the Torah Program. So I want to dedicate what I'm about to say in honor of my father. I heard this from him probably hundreds of times. He had those chus for many years to travel all over the world to give uh, many classes, but this particular class on behalf of Kir Rechaikim and influenced thousands, if not tens of thousands of people. We're presenting it today in a new light, in the context of the history of 1648-1649. And um, so let's, let's continue on this journey. So the Gemara is making a, a, an astounding prediction. The Gemara is saying that if Germany would ever reunite and ever ally itself with Rome, with Italy, it would go forth and destroy the world. So what happens, 1871, Bismarck unites all the Germanic republics. It's set into motion the events that precede World War I. Germany is primed to destroy the world. There's only one problem. What's Italy doing during this time? Italy begins World War I neutral. By the end of the war, they're on the Allied forces. Germany is defeated. Why? Because it's muzzled. Because of its combat because of its conflict with Raimi, with, with Italy. But then Hitler rises to power, and Hitler again begins to unify all the Germanic republics. And his generals and his officers and advisors tell him, you're crazy, the world will never let you do this. Hitler says, no, this is the only way to ascend. And then Hitler makes one of the most astonishing moves in political history. He decides to get the Italians on his side. Now, if you know anything about Italians, is they know how to make pizza, but they can't fight to save their life. Nobody wants Italians on their side. And Hitler makes a treaty with Mussolini, and he broke every treaty ever made with Poland, with Russia. There's only one treaty that Hitler never broke. Mussolini. Hitler remained in alliance with Mussolini until the end of World War II. Why? Because Hitler knows that if Germany would but go forth and shed the Zomam and shed the Leash and unite all the three republics and unify with Italy, it would go out and destroy the world. Hitler articulated his war against the Jews very clearly in an article, and this is important for every Jew to know. See, Hitler understood what a Jew is, unfortunately, more than we do. Hitler said... There are two defects that the Jewish people have 
cast on the world. There are two defects, says Hitler. We are bar- barbarians and we're proud of it. And I will free the world of the shackles of the defects of the Jew. The Jew has cast on the world the physical defect and the defect of conscience. The physical defect is the Mila. And, says Hitler, the Jewish people have invented the defect of self-discipline and morals. But I will free the world from the defect of the guf, and I will free the world from the defect of consciousness. And we then will be able to revert back to being proud barbarians. So let's understand now. Hitler said the following, All my wars against Russia, against France, against England, it's all not... Simzach, that's not the war. There's only one war, Hitler said. The war against the Jew. So coming back to Megillah Esther. Esther Hamalka understood this concept, this Kabbalistic idea. That when Haman made his decree of Lahashmet Laragali Abed, that decree was not abolished, it wasn't nullified. It looms forever. Loyalenu. And Esther saw into the future. Then when they killed the ten sons of Haman, and they killed the 500 Amalekim, Esther then turns to the king, Vayoymer Esther, Im al HaMelech Toiv. And we have a tradition that when the Megillah says, HaMelech HaChashverosh, it refers to HaChashverosh. When the Megillah says, HaMelech, it can refer to God. And Esther turns to God and he sa- she says, Rebani Shalaylam, Im al HaMelech Toiv, Yinosein Gam Machar. What's Machar? Yesh machar la'achar zman. Sometimes machar means in the far out future. Esther saw in the far out future we would be facing another ten Amalekim. Esther Davins, please God, allow us to take revenge against another ten Amalekim. 1945. The war is over. Six million Yidin were murdered by the Germans. It's October 1945, and the International Society set up a, a war tribunal uh, in the city of Nuremberg, which was a seat, a hot seat, of uh, many of the Nazi propaganda, and many of the rallies took place in Nuremberg, and they felt that would be the, the right place to uh, judge the, the Nazi criminals. And they gathered together in October of 1945... 11 Nazi war criminals. And their names are Shem, Risham, Yerkov, Yemach Shemam, Zichram, Herman, you have it over here if you want to shoot, Herman Goring, who was Hitler's number two, uh, second to Hitler, Wilhelm Frick, the interior minister, Joachim van Ribbentrop, the minister of foreign affairs, Field Marshal Keidel, he was the head of the Wehrmacht, Ernst Kaltenbrunner, he was the head of the Gestapo. It was under his auspices that Rabbi Hanan Wasserman Hashem Yim was killed. Julius Streicher, the editor of Der Sturmer. Fritz Sockel. Alfred Jodl. Hans Frank. Alfred Rosenberg, who was Hitler's philosopher. And other Rishon. These 11 individuals were put on trial. The trial began in November, November 21st. 1945. What year was that? Tavshin Vav. 
And the, uh, there were a number of judges. There were judges represented, I believe, by the United States, by England. And it was decided that France would also have a representative. The French judge was the most sympathetic. What do you expect? And he issued a verdict that they should be executed by the firing squad. And the other judges did not agree with him. They said that's uh, too much of a dignified death. And they outvoted him and they said, these guys need to be hanged. They were such achazarim, <clears throat> they were so cruel, they were barbarians, they deserved to be hanged. And, you know, we have an account of when they heard about the verdict, when they heard that they were going to die, they accepted it with a degree of equanimity, they, they understood it was coming. But when they heard they were going to be hanged, they became so demoralized. They said, this is not something, they felt they didn't deserve that. That's such a demeaning way to go. They felt that, they laughed, they didn't know what to do with themselves. And they all went to their death. And let me read to you Newsweek, October 28th, 1946. Of all the Nazi criminals that were killed on that day, you'll get the Maramukam later, I'll give it to you later. Only Julius Streicher went without dignity. He had to be pushed across the floor, wild-eyed and screaming, Hail Hitler! Mounting the steps, he cried out, And now I go to God. He sure did. He steered at the witness facing the gallows and shouted, Purim Fest, 1946. Purim Fest? It wasn't Purim. It happened to have been Hoshana Rabbah. Why didn't he say, you know, Chanukah Sameach or Chakoshev Sameach? What's Purim Fest? Apparently he understood very well that the hanging of these ten Amalekim, Rishayim, these ten demons was a reenactment of the Yomtif of Purim, of the hanging of the Asaras B'nei Haman. He understood that. If he didn't realize it, his neshama, whatever he had of it, realized it. This was Purim 1946. So you'll ask, wait a second, 1946, Purim, it was Hoshana Rabbah. Wasn't the case uh, scheduled for a different date? Wasn't the case scheduled for June time? And the truth is, it was scheduled for June time. But there were constant pleas for amnesty from the church. And the case was pushed off from June to October to Hashana Rabbah. So you say, okay, so somehow these ten sons of Haman have a connection to these ten Nazis who were hung in Nuremberg. That is what Esther Hamalka was davening. That's what her tefillah was. She said, God Almighty, a day will come when we're going to have to face another Haman. We're going to have to face another Amalek. And we're going to want to take revenge and give the Jewish people hope and strength to continue on. Please, God, in the future, allow us to hang the ten Nazi criminals like we hung the ten sons of Haman today. That was the tefillah of Esther Hamalka. So you'll ask, okay, what? Ah, but wait a second. There were 11 Nazis who were tried in the, in the uh, Nuremberg trials. But the night before, Goring asked for his final meal, and he killed himself. And he took his life to join Hitler and Himmler. 
and the 11th Nazi was supposed to be hanged the next day committed suicide. So Esther hit it on the button. The 10 sons of Haman were hanged again. So you'll ask, but wait a second. There were 10 sons of Haman and 11 Nazis and one of them killed himself. Hey, wait a second. Haman had another child. Haman had a daughter. What did Haman's daughter do? She jumped off the roof. She so 10 of Haman's sons were hanged. One of them committed suicide. So you'll ask, but she was a woman. I'm not going to speak about it publicly, but Goring was a deviant, and if you want to know more about it, I can tell you privately. It's Mamish Meduktuk Bediktuk Gamar. Ten were hanged, one committed suicide. Yinosin Gamachar Laihudim Asher B'Shushan Lasois Kedasayah. So you say, okay, you know, maybe it's coincidence. That's really what Esther meant. I mean, that maybe it just happens to be that it worked out and it fits into our Torah that Esther said, you know, and there were ten, ten sons of Haman and ten Nazis. Well, Esther said, I'm not going to let you question this. And therefore, I'm going to put in the Megillah the exact date of the hanging of the ten Nazi criminals. And that's why in the ten sons of Haman, there are three small letters. Tav, Shin, Zion. So you see, but Tav, Shin, Zion is 1947. They were hanged in 1947. No, no, no. It, it was Tav, Shin, Zion. It was Hashanah Rabbah right after Tishrei. But it was still 1946. So it was Purim Fest 1946. And the date was Tav, Shin, Zion. So Esther is telling you, this is not a coincidence. I'm davening for a specific date on the calendar. Parmashta, the tough, the shin, the zayin. Now, you have to know, first of all, who came up with this? Who realized this? Who recognized this? Who figured this out? This was figured out by none other than Ramichel Doiv Weismandel, who's... Uh, one of the most brilliant people who ever lived. He was very involved in saving uh, um, Yiddin from the Holocaust, of paying for the right to uh, to release them. He, he wrote a book, Menachem Eitzar. Just tell you a little bit about him. He had a mind like a computer. And maybe we'll learn about it, uh, some of his codes a little bit more. He could look at a letter and count thousands of letters later, and then from there count thousands of letters, without a, just with his eyes. And Rami Cholber was the one who discovered this code as printed in his biography, Ishcha Mudais. So you'll say, well, wait a second. Tafshin Zayin. I mean, you know, is that really exact? Does anybody know how many times does the year Tafshin Zayin? Tafshin Zayin is the year 707. How many 707s have there been in the history of Kal Yisrael? The year 707. The year 1707, the year 2707, the year 3707, the year 4707, and the year 5707. So, okay, Esther said Tavshin Zion, but which Tavshin Zion? So Esther said, I'm not going to leave that to ambiguity. She put a big vav in the Megillah. The sixth time Tavshin Zion appeared in world history. The fifth, 5707, there's a big vav. You look at the Aseris B'nai Haman. There is a small Tuf in the Parshadasa and a small Shin in the Parmashta and a small Zion in the Vaizasa. Tuf Shin Zion! Which Tuf Shin Zion? Vav! 
the sixth time. And Esther Davins in the year 5707. Don't let that French judge, don't let the Pope plead for amnesty. Everybody wants to know, you know, in that says, there are ten extra words. What are the ten extra words? It should say, What's the VS? We know there's a cloud in chess. So I once saw, what's the gematria of the S? 407. What's the gematria of Auror? 407. Auror Parmashta, Auror Dalfoin, Auror Asmosa. But says Rabbi Chobar Weissmandel, we have a Klal and Shas, we just learned it in Sukkah Sunday morning. If you don't come Sunday morning, you come this Sunday morning. We have a Klal and Shas. S is Baal Larabois. So who was the S of Parmashta Larabois? That one's for Keitling. And the S is Marbe. All the ten Rishayim. Each S is Marba, another one of the ten Nazi criminals. One S is for Frick, and one else is for Kaltenbrunner, and one else is for Streicher, and one S is for Sakel, and one S is for Jodl. They're all included in the Aseris B'neha. Maybe we could offer the following thought. You know, we wanted to know, why are some letters big and some letters small? I think we could explain quite amazingly. You know, the big tough and the big ches is when the Gezer of Haman came out and was enlarged and was brought out to the world in the year 1648. But the small tough Shin Zion is when we took Amalek and we we diminished them. We killed their klipa. Tough Shin Zion is when we killed Amalek. Tough ches isn't big. That's when the Gezer of Haman came out into the world. Tavshin Zayin is when Amalek was diminished, when Amalek was dissipated. That's why they're small. So you'll say, then why did Esther make a big vav? She could have made a small vav. So I found in a sefer, the big vav is another time that Haman's gazera came out. The big vav in the Megillah is the six million yidin. That's the big vav in Megillah. That's why the vav is big, not the vav is small. And I found in a Sefer, Itzer Hayadiyos, which is a very reliable Sefer, although maybe someone out there will help me with this one. If you take the Gematria of Joachim Ribbentrop and Ernest Kaltenbrunner and Julius Streicher and Alfred Rosenberg and Wilhelm Keitel and Alfred Jodl and Arthur and Hans Frank and you add up exactly their names, you get the Gamacha of Parshandosa, Dalfoy, Nasposa, Poirosa, Dalia, Ridosa, Parmashta, Arisai, Aridai, Vaisosa, Aseres, Bnei Haman. Now I tried it, it doesn't work. But he says it. So if anyone out there could figure out what he means, maybe Ms. Barkato, I look, you know, you gotta give him credit. I could have just sold it and told you it works, you know? So I got I'm honest with you, you know. But I found it a very reliable safer of Yechil Michal Stern, so there's probably a way to calculate it. By the way, so the, the tough ches is big, that's when the Xer of Haman came out. The tough Shinzain is small, that's when we caused the Klip of Amalek to dissipate. There's the big vav. The big vav represents the six million hidden. Half a fella, so where does Haman fit in? You know, you have the ten sons of Haman, and you have the ten Nazi criminals. 
But what about Haman himself? Who was he? Who was he? Hitler. How come we never found him? Nobody knows where he is. So, I'll tell you the name of the Sefer. I don't know much about it. In the Sefer, Manois Aaron, Rav Sholem, Aliasi. Hitler, Hitler was the Gilgal of Haman. And then he adds something, and I do not stand behind the statement, but I'm telling you this before Purim, that nobody ever saw Hitler take off his shoes. Uh, certainly me, I never saw him take off his shoes. Why did he, or his boots, why did he ever take off his boots? It says because he was a shed. You know, shed them have chicken feet. Again, this is not, I'm not, this is not part of the shear. This is just for your information. You could do your own uh, independent investigation whether Hitler in fact took off his shoes, did not take off his shoes. He writes in the Sefer that we have a tradition, I don't know who's the we and where this tradition came from, that Hitler never took off his shoes. Zolzain Azoi. Zolzain, he was a shed. Comes the Sefer. Now, I still didn't tell you. Okay, so really, who are these Mikubalim who say that Tafches is 1648 and that the Gezerah of Haman is looming every year? And that there's a concept that the Gezerah of Haman was never abolished. refers to if God allowed this decree to take place, then it's going to happen. Who revealed this to us? That's right. The Sefer Chemdas Yamim. <laughs> it comes from the Sefer Chemdas Yamim. That's the... That, but, as we saw, Rav Sham Shemashapoli quotes it, and the Sam Sefer quotes it, and the Yismach Moshe quotes it. It's, it's already, already canonized by the G'day Yisrael, but in, or, in origin, it comes from the Chemdas Yamim. Now, I, I didn't even realize that. I only found it last night, well after Chatzot, that this comes from the Sefer Chemdas Yamim, let me show you a few last things in the Chemnas Yomim. Says the Chemnas Yomim, why is God's name not in Megillah Esther? So everybody heard of many different Perushim. He said, because Megillah Esther, in a way, is a very frightening Sefer. It's a book of Peronius. It's the Gezerah of Haman, which was never abolished. And therefore the Yomim did not want to put his name to it. What's the reason why the Chachamim were not so agreeable to canonize Megillah Esther as part of the Tanakh, it's because to put in the Tanakh this Gezer of Haman, they felt was, was a very frightening thing for Kalah Yisrael. Marv Rabbi says the Chemdas Yamim and says the Ben Yehoyada and says all the Sifrei Kabbalah. Tainus Esther abolishes whatever left of the Gezer of Haman there is. And as we started this year, that if you have a snake in your house, all you need to do is bring in the horn of Esther, you put some smoke into it, and that dissipates the snake. It says the Sefer Siach Besam. That's the reason for the mitzvah of Chayiv Inish Lebesume Bepuraya Adolo Yada Haman. Why? Because there's this blooming gazelle, we don't know, we, what is it going to be chalan? So what you do is you become a little shikr, come out like a mess, and this way if any gazelle of Haman were supposed to be chal, it's chal on the state of drunkenness, and this way we ward off all of the impact of the gazelle of Haman, and we're mespaler mitz Hashem, that this year when we lay in the Megillah, Mekai and the Mitzvah the final straw on the back of Haman, the final 
glimmer of hope that Haman has should dissipate forever and ever. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.